the Sunday Sermons Podcast. When I first came to Morrison Hill back in 1991, uh, I had really long hair. Uh, a couple of you maybe might remember that. It's probably hard to picture for anybody who has known me since then. Uh, what I was going for was uh, my idols at the time were Rich Mullins and Bono. And they just had, both had just straight up long hair and they would just comb it straight back and it would stay there. And that's what I was going for. But in reality, back when my hair grew on top of my head pretty well, uh, which is quite a while ago now, um, it was thick and it had a lot of body. So when I'd comb it straight back, it'd stick all up like that. And then in the back, it was way longer than it was in the front. So everybody who sees pictures of me back then goes, oh, a mullet. And the truth is, it's hard to admit that that's the end result because that was not what I was going for. That's not at all what I pictured I was doing in my head. That's not at all what I wanted. I wasn't trying to be Billy Ray Cyrus. But that's that was the reality at the time. So over this whole series we've called Throwback, we've looked back over the realities of the church. And the reality is over, over the centuries, we have gotten it really right and really wrong. We've got it in between. And I just want to say today that just like now, pretty much all I can do is just kind of cut my hair short and move on. I can't go back and change my haircut in 1991. I can't go back and clarify. I can't go back and flatten it down better on the back or cut it a little shorter in the back. I, I, I can't do that. And there's no point. And I can't, anytime I say, no, it's not a mullet. Nobody's going to be convinced by my arguments. But you know what I can do? I can choose what I do today. Does that make sense? And that is the heart, and that is the message of this whole series called Throwback, is what are we going to do today? We're trying to learn from the past. We're trying to understand what we meant by it, what people got right, and what the rest of the world thought about it, and and, and, and all of that stuff. But what we're really talking about is what are we going to be now? What is God calling us to do now? And so as we wrap up this series this morning, let's remember that we're We're at the crossroads of what we're going to do now. We are the church of today. And someday people will look back on us and go, it was like this. Guess who makes, gets to, guess who gets to make those choices? Us. So that's where we're going today, and I hope you go that. And we're going to start out right away with the words of Jesus himself. The first thing that has to happen if we're going to follow Jesus and be the church is that we have to know the truth. And, and not just the truth about what haircuts look like or any nonsense like that. The truth here is Jesus. We'll see this in a second. We're going to get to that exact verse where he said that. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He wasn't just talking about any random truth. If you ever tell the truth, that will set you free. That is also true. But he was saying, you will know him. The way, the truth, the life. And that will set you free. And in the biblical sense, the word that we translate know and the phrases we translate know really means to fully experience, 
to actually just, you understand it, you live it out, you share it. It is who you are, it is what you do. When you know something or you know someone, that is you, that is your life. It's part of your identity. And when we know Jesus, that's what sets us free. Are we tracking so far? I just want to make sure we're all heading the same direction today because we've got a lot of ground to cover. How many educators are out there? Can I see a show of hands, anybody? Maybe thumbs up emojis for people joining us online. Okay, good. There's a bunch of you. You guys will know what I'm talking about here. There's a thing in the education world called Bloom's Taxonomy. It's kind of the gold standard of if teaching is effective or not. And here's how it works. At, at At the bottom of it is if people can even remember what you said. But that's really not the goal. Uh, if you're a really good teacher, maybe they'll understand what you said. Most of the time, at least somebody won't. When you go up a little higher, if they really get it, they're going to apply what you said. They're going to do something about it. And then if you really got through, they're going to be able to uh, evaluate what they did and evaluate and, and analyze it and make it better and figure out how to do it even better. And they're going to create new systems, new ways to pass on what you taught them to other people. That makes sense? This is exactly what we're trying to do as the church. We are disciples who make disciples. And some of us settle for not even remembering what Jesus said. Or maybe remembering it but never totally understanding it. Or maybe we understood it, but that's not what we actually apply to our lives. What we've been trying to do over the last several weeks is kind of just evaluate and analyze kind of how things have been over the years. But the goal here is that we create a new system or keep right on with a good system wherever our system is good. But we get it right. We are disciples who make disciples. We still together? Hallelujah. So as we go through today, I'm going to use as a brief outline uh, the seven habits of highly effective people by Dr. Stephen Covey. Who's, who's heard of this before? Fantastic. You can apply it to almost anything in life. But we're trying to be an effective church. And, and he got most of these ideas in one way or another from biblical concepts. So we're going to look at how that works one more time and then wrap up with exactly Hopefully, what we all agree is where God is taking us next. Let's start out here. His first habit of highly effective people is this, that you are proactive, not reactive. If you're a reactive person, you wait for somebody else to tell you what to do before you do it. If you're a proactive person, you're somebody that says, hey, that needs done. How are we going to get it done? You get it done. Which employee would you rather have? Those of you who have employees, would you rather have proactive or reactive? proactive any day of the week. And so that's what it needs to be. And where the church has gotten it right over and over, over history, is where we're proactive about the things that he wants us to get done. For example, he says, take care of the sick. That's where hospitals came from. Take care of the poor. That's actually the origins of Sunday school. It originally wasn't just teaching them about the Bible. It was teaching kids who had to work in factories all week long. They actually taught them how to read and do math and stuff like that. And then brought them into church the next hour. That's where Sunday schools first start. It was a proactive strategy. 
The idea that we've taken church online is almost every church ever allows those of you who still can't be here with us to join in. I've heard that countless people that have visited our church in person, they started out visiting online. This is a wonderful thing. It was, it was a proactive decision. We have to somehow still keep meeting, somehow keeps proclaiming the truth, somehow still keep worshiping. And when that got taken away temporarily, we said, well, we're going to try this. Proactive means you figure out what needs to be done and you get it done. It's not about just having hope or being convicted. It's a, it looks a lot like hard work. But when we get it right as a church, when we will get it right as a church, it's always going to be when we're proactive, not reactive. The Bible talks about this a lot, actually. In Romans 14, Paul writes this. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Notice he doesn't say, when somebody's mean to you, try your best not to be mean back. He says, let's do what leads to peace. Let's make every effort to do what leads to an atmosphere where everybody gets better. That's a totally different thing. Ephesians 4, 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The second effective habit that Dr. Covey talks about is to begin with the end in mind. In other words, when you start a new church, you start a new program, you start a new whatever else, that, that you don't just, it's not just a fun idea that you heard somewhere or saw on Pinterest. You're saying, hey, how do we accomplish what Jesus said to accomplish? What if we try this? And most of the effective churches and church plants and church programs throughout history and here at Morrison Hill have been, I'd say all of them actually started out like this. There was an end in mind. And it was a lot bigger than, hey, I've got an idea. This would be fun. There's, there's a goal in mind. And whenever we keep that, whenever we do that, we get it right. Whenever we don't, we don't. Paul writes about this to the Philippians. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Are we still, still tracking? Is this all right? A couple more here. Uh, number three is to put first things first. Here at Morrison Hill, we always have the first things right behind me here. You can't always see it on camera, but it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Throughout history and right this minute at the church, whenever we get it right, we're doing both of those things. And whenever we're getting it wrong, we forgot one or the other. And honestly, usually it's that one. Usually when we put something else, anything else, even a biblical truth or our favorite thing about church or our favorite whatever else above loving someone else as we love ourselves. 
That's where it all starts to break down. We have to put first things first. And we get this from Jesus' own example. John writes, we love because he first loved us. Paul told the Philippians that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in his very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, became obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. Does that sound familiar? And that's why he was so successful. He was already God, but God rewarded him with more authority, all authority in heaven and on earth because he was willing to put us first. And then Jesus said to love one another as he loves us. The fourth thing that Covey says, if you're going to be highly effective at anything, is that you think win-win. In other words, it's not about beating the other person. It's not about being right in every situation. It's not convincing them. It's not getting an apology every time. You forgive anyway. To win, win means, hey, if we're getting the job done, if we're keeping all these other things in mind, and where first things are first, especially these things, guess what? That's a win. And that's why here at Morrison Hill, more than ever, we're partnering with other organizations that do the things we want to get done because we can do more things in the community when we partner with them. For example, we believe in feeding people. We have our own food ministry here. By the way, today is one of those Sundays where you can take a box back there. There's no forms to fill out or anything. If you want the food, if you know somebody who needs the food, there's Boxes back there. If we run out, there's more back there. You can do that. But we also partner with Hands of Mercy, a much bigger one downtown. We also uh, partner with Family Promise, who focuses on homeless families and helping them get a hand up. We, focus, we partner with Roan County Cooperative Ministries and a bunch of other churches. We all work together to help the, the, those who need help in so many different ways. I'm not saying how amazing we are. I'm just saying this is how we do this. And this is how every church does this that actually cares and wants to get things done. It's win-win. We don't want people to go, wow, Morris and Hill Christian Church. My gosh, look at all these wonderful things they're doing. What we want them to go is, man, look at God. Look how great he is. All the churches in town actually are fighting poverty and winning. Do you see the difference? That's a completely different thing. And when we think win-win, we all win. That's when Morrison Hill wins. That's when all the other churches win. Jesus himself said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And brothers and sisters, I just encourage you to always keep that in mind. Keep that as one of the first things. The truth matters. Doctrine matters. So many things really do matter. What we think about certain things and what we choose to do about it, it really matters. But loving one another is what's going to prove that Jesus is who he said he was. Loving one another is what's going to make people believe that we've got something that they need. And they do. Whether they know it or not, whether we get it right or not, they do need it. But this is what Jesus said would help them understand and believe that. Number five, 
Seek first to understand and then to be understood. I'm actually, I'm so thankful. Some people actually signed me up and paid for it even. I'm right now in a program that meets once a month called Leadership Rome County. And with a whole bunch of leaders from a whole bunch of different organizations and backgrounds that are learning how Rome County works. We're learning just kind of what, what the biggest needs are and who's doing something about it and how to partner better. And over the next couple months, I hope that I'll have a lot more to share. I've already learned a lot. This whole series has been at least an attempt to help us understand not only who the church really is, who the church really is supposed to be according to Jesus himself, but also how the world sees the church, how Americans have seen the church. Whether they're right or wrong, it's important that we know what the point A is if we're going to take anybody to point B. Does this make sense? And so we're acknowledging all that. We're seeking first to understand, then to be understood. Being understood is also important. But just like me and my mullet hair, I I finally learned I don't protest anymore. I go, yeah, I had a mullet in the 90s. (laughs) Nobody believes me looking at the picture evidence that that's not what I was going for. And I'm okay with that now. I can live with that. Does this make sense at all? James writes this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Hopefully we've heard this many, many times before. I'd like to highlight the last couple lines of this. What we're trying to do as a church, what the church is supposed to be doing for Jesus is producing the righteousness God desires, which means we're doing good things. We're not just not doing bad things. We're doing good things. Righteousness in the scripture is not just not doing bad things. It's actually doing the good things. And you know what does not produce the righteousness that God desires? This is easy. It's right there on the screen in front of you. What does not produce the righteousness that God desires? Human anger. He goes on. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. I don't know about you, but that's a team that I want to be on. That team's blessed in all they do because they're doing what God wants done. The last two kind of go together. One is synergize. That means team up. It, it acknowledges that we are better and more, uh, it, more than the sum of our parts when we team up, when the entire body of Christ works together, when an entire football team works together and everybody plays their part well. Congratulations, Vol fans. Sorry, Jeff. 
When we get it right, when we get it right is when we work together. And what we can do together is always way bigger than any of us could do alone, even if we were just working side by side. That's why Jesus created a body. We all have different gifts. We all have different abilities and passions. He wants us to work together. And it needs to happen. The seventh and final uh, highly effective habit that Dr. Covey talks about is to sharpen the saw. To continually go back and make sure that you're still on track. To keep improving. To constantly go back and make sure that you're getting things right. That you're, you're operating the way you need to operate. This is why we have church, by the way. It's why we have small groups and Sunday schools. It's why we have all the programs that we're doing is trying to get sharper and trying to resharpen and trying to stay focused. This is why we have events like the worship night tonight. It's just a one more time. Just take time just to remember how amazing God is and celebrate him together, to have time to just pray together for a while, to marinate in scripture for a while, to sing songs, to just, there's no other lesson. There's just how amazing God is. We remember that together. Hebrews 10, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I believe the most obvious and most common understanding of meaning of this, don't give up the habit of meeting together, is we're supposed to keep meeting together. That should be a priority for us. And if we're, we've got to keep sharpening this saw. But I think it's also worth noting that it means not, don't give up meeting together. Sometimes we, we keep meeting, but we trade places. There's an old joke about a guy who was rescued on an island. He'd been alone on this island for forever and ever. And when they finally found him, uh, they're kind of asking him how he survived and everything. And he had these three shelters. And he's been alone on this island for a long time. And they said, hey, so what's that shelter? And he goes, oh, that's my house. Okay, cool. Oh, what's that shelter? And he said, that's my church. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Well, what's that one? He goes, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. But it also stings a bit, doesn't it? Because we we Christians are known for this kind of stuff. We're known. and, 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 And you might say, how in the world do you split if there's only one of you? And Jesus would say, exactly. I made you to be one. When we know the truth, when we experience the truth, we know Jesus. It sets us free. And that's what he meant when he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Not just free from the penalty of sins we've committed, but free from having to sin, free from slavery to sin, and not just free from not sinning, but also free to do the righteousness that he designed us to do in the first place. He empowers us with his Holy Spirit to do that. And is that hard? Is that scary? You can answer. Yes, it is. 
but we can still do it. One of my favorite movies is What About Bob? If you uh, agree with me, great. If you don't, please don't judge me. But there's a powerful scene in the middle. The kid you see there, he's trying to learn how to dive into the water. And his dad's a psychiatrist. And he thinks he knows everything. And he kind of does, but he's a terrible dad. And he's been trying to teach the kid to dive for a long time. The guy in the life jacket is Bob. And he's uh, one of the psychiatrist's patients. And he's crazy. He is messed up. The dude is just, he's, he's got issues. But he sees the kid out there trying to jump in the water, and he's scared. He puts on a life jacket. He goes down. He's holding on to, the, to something. He's reaching out. Please don't jump. Please don't jump. And the kid goes, it's okay. I can, I, I can do this. And his being there, despite his fear, despite his craziness, finally gets the kid to dive. He was more effective than the kid's dad. Weird, huh? But that's what can happen. When you and me are terrified. When you and me don't know all the answers. When we don't. But we're there. We show up. Sometimes we can be more effective than if we sit. I said that wrong. We will always be more effective that way than when we sit in a room and talk about it and we're right about stuff, but that's where it ends. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they instantly misunderstand him as usual. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And then he goes into this long passage, breaking down exactly what he does mean by it. But we just spent about 25 minutes here breaking it down. I hope, hope it already makes sense to you guys. When we know Jesus... When everything we do is based around Jesus, whether we're getting it right or wrong, we're constantly coming back to Jesus. You're over here, I'm over here, but Jesus is here and we're all coming here in the middle every single time. And we keep meeting together. And we keep our priorities. We're proactive, not reactive, and all those other things we just walked through. Guess what happens? We're more effective that way than if three or four of us are right about something every single time. We're free from sin because we're not even focusing it on anymore and Jesus' power has set us free. And we're free to actually get done the stuff he wants us to get done. And that is the true deep beauty of the gospel. Dallas Willard is a really influential author. A lot of people that I read quote him all the time. So I was just starting to look at some of this original books of his. I can't speak for him 100% because i um, gotten into trouble doing that before, <laughs> quoting somebody that had some other things to say. But I think it's kind of safe to talk about Dallas Willard. One of the things I love about him is he points out that when the Bible talks about eternal life, that it's not just talking about heaven. In the original languages, that, that those words and phrases that we call life is more like living. It's an active kind of life. It's, it's not just 
eternal life like you don't die sometime. It's, it's a way to live. It's a perspective on life. It starts now. It starts when you come to know Jesus. And it grows and it gets bigger and better as you go. And then on the other side of death, it goes on forever. He, he, instead of saying eternal life, he says Jesus gives us um, eternal living. I just find that very insightful and not just more accurate to the original Greek, but just imagine if we looked at every single thing that we do in light of eternity. What if everything we did was chosen from this eternal perspective that we have the life that we have truly been set free? And Jesus, again, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Is he just talking about heaven there? Now he's talking about right now. Heaven's the icing on the cake on the other side of it all. Paul writes in Romans, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We're not just not his enemies anymore, we're his children. We're not just the people fighting against him, we're his team. We're not just some sort of group of people to meet together, we are the body of Christ. And when we own that, we not only know the truth, we live eternally. We experience eternal living. One last expert quote here. This comes from Jocko Willink and Leif Babin uh, in their book, Extreme Ownership. It's a leadership book. I really like this. They said, extreme ownership requires leaders to look through the objective lens of reality. Without emotional attachments to agendas or plans. It mandates that a leader set ego aside, accept responsibility for failures, attack weaknesses, constantly work to build a better and more effective team. That's what we're trying to do here. Succeed, fail, that's what we're trying to do. They go on. Efficiency and effectiveness increase exponentially and a high performance winning team is the result when we lead this way let's look at that one more time by the way just clarify these words efficiency means you're good at doing the things that just have to get done you're efficient means you know you're i don't know at your house your dishes stay washed and the trash gets emptied and you know what i'm saying you just kind of get this stuff done but effective means the big job you're trying to do gets done uh, if it was a football game like yesterday, efficiency would be every time you're handed the ball, you, you run and the play gets run the way we practiced it. Effectiveness would mean you actually win the game. Efficiency and effectiveness increase exponentially and a high-performance winning team is the result. Here's where we're going we're to wrap this thing up today. And I'm going to, as always, invite you to take a step in the direction of Jesus and whatever this is meaning to you today. 
As the Holy Spirit is unpacking this in your own heart. Uh, anybody besides me as a kid sing the little song, uh, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> like that song. But you know what? I, as I've grown up, I realized there's a whole bunch of different kinds of lights. There's flashlights. There's signal flares. There's strobe lights. There's candles. There's lighthouses. There's tower lights. The Bible speaks of a city on a hill that can't be hidden because it's all lit up and it's up on a hill. This morning, I'd like you to at least consider that maybe that little light, as a kid, we all did this, right? I'm not sure what kind of light you do that with. I'm not sure where that motion came from. But here's what I'd like you to imagine. What if we're streetlights? What if all of us are pointing the way to that city on a hill? What if all of us are pointing the way even much more than that to Jesus himself? What about if we're constantly looking at not each other trying to fix each other, but ourselves trying to realign ourselves with the line straight down the middle that leads to Jesus? And if we stay that way, if we constantly stay that way, our job is to point to Jesus. Guess what? We might actually be effective in that. People might find Jesus. And they will know the truth. And the truth will set them free. This morning, if you've got a decision you need to make, I I ask you to, to make it. Be proactive. Do something about what, we, what God is telling you to do in your heart today. We're going to sing this song together. Everybody's going to stand. Everybody's going to sing. I'm going to be over here off camera. So if you'd like to talk, if you've got a decision you'd like to make, please make that. But no matter where you go and how public you want to make this choice, would you make a choice this morning? Would you recommit as an individual and as part of this church to put Jesus first and to collectively do that? Would you do that this morning?